This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times bestselling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week, we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we have a conversation to seek to do just that. Jenny Allen is a Bible teacher, best-selling author, and she is the founder of the IF Gathering, which is a massive gathering of women. And her most recent book is called Untangle Your Emotions, Naming What You Are Feeling and Knowing What to Do About It. So today I want to talk specifically about emotions and Jenny, one of the things that uh, one of the reasons I'm glad to have you on today is because this is a subject that I've gotten so many questions and emails about. It seems mm-hmm. like a lot of people are grappling with the very question you're talking about in this book. Oh, yeah, we all are. And it's so good to be here, Dr. Moore. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, this is the this is the issue of the day, right? We yeah. are seeing a wave of mental health issues just even getting worse since COVID. So this isn't going away. We've yeah. got to kind of be schooled on it. Uh, my my hope is that the church would find a healthier way to view emotions because I think in large part, we've reacted to the world, which has made emotions their God and said, follow your heart and wherever mm-hmm. your emotions are taking you is where you go. But then the church has reacted with kind of demonizing them or at least not knowing what to do with them. And so my hope is that we get a better theology and a better understanding of what God plans for our emotions because they are from him. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, things being a lot worse since COVID. 2020, 2021 was a really difficult year for me for a mm. lot of different reasons. I mean, some of them, some of them big global things like the pandemic, some of them more personal, my dad dying, my mm. son, my oldest son's leaving the house and going out on their own. And those, those kinds of things, there were so many things that happened in that time. And I noticed when my dad died that I immediately poured myself into writing his obituary, writing his funeral sermon, and mm. kind of pressed through the things that I had to do. And I told my wife the other day, I said, I am really happy that I am feeling sad. Yeah. And she, she wow. said, what do you mean you're happy you're feeling sad? And I said, because it seems like I haven't felt sad in a long time. I haven't felt angry. I haven't felt those things. I think I was just kind of pressing through and numb. Am I a total mm -hmm. freak or does that happen to other people? <laughs> You're a total freak, Dr. Moore. That is the problem. Just kidding. There also is another feature though that you're speaking of, which is a feature of our brain that causes you to get through a very traumatic situation and your mind can go numb. So Navy SEALs use it. When they go to war, there's a feature in your brain that mm -hmm. God has built in for you to survive certain circumstances. You actually had to write that obituary. Nobody would have done it better probably. And you needed to prepare that sermon and you needed to take care of probably, you know, if your mom's still alive, her and, and your family mm -hmm. members, you, you had roles to play in that moment. And Navy SEALs, it's the same thing. You go out into war and they teach them how to access that part of their brain that can go numb. So it isn't all bad. It, numbness can actually serve a great purpose. In the book, I actually give everybody a pause and say, you may be at a moment that this is not the right time to kind of dive into the ocean of your feelings because you might be in a survival moment where you people are counting on you and, mm -hmm. and you're needed. So you are not crazy. This is, this is everybody. And it's actually a great gift to be able to do that in moments like that. Now, what's beautiful about what you just shared and moves me to hear it is that you're happy that you're sad now because that's the part we never really want to get to. Mm -hmm. People dread it. People think, I don't want to go through a season of grief. I don't want to feel that sadness. Isn't it easier if I just push that away? And the reality is you can push it away, but it doesn't leave your body. Right. <laughs> it, it's there. And what you don't want, and which happens to me all the time, and I think God has grace for, and, and hopefully the people in our lives have grace for, is it to come out really sideways sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because that's how it usually comes out for me is me being short with people, me being you know, angry at a situation that really doesn't deserve that much anger, overreacting per se. Yeah. And I think that's why this is so important is we want to be healthy and whole people able to, to walk with God deeply and to walk with other people in love and kindness and patience and self-control and gentleness. And all of that kind of gets stopped up and backed up when we're never happy to be sad, <laughs> when we mm -hmm. never say, let's move into that season and feel the feelings we need to feel. You know, as, as Christians, we understand that we are bodily creatures and we are spiritual creatures. And Christians have different ways of articulating that, but that's a, that's a fundamental part of our story. How do the emotions, you mentioned that this can show up in the body. 
how does that happen? And, and how would somebody know? What are the things that they would see where they would say, okay, my body knows this or my nervous system yeah. knows this, even if I don't? Well, I love that you're saying that that's part of the Christian walk because it actually has been a really cumbersome, clunky road with Christians mm-hmm. and their body. I think I think we are now in a day where we recognize that. But I think even when I was younger, I remember language like that feeling very new age or something that, mm-hmm. that our bodies mattered. Because I do think that there was some heresy in the church right away, just from the very beginning of the church, that that asceticism, that our bodies are evil and, and God built our bodies. And they're, they are telling us things that mm-hmm. that are important messages. And so I'll just give you an example. So I'm driving home. This is a few months ago. I'm driving home and my shoulders were tight. My chest even hurt just a little bit. It was. It felt like I had shortness of breath. My stomach was upset. And I mean, I noticed all of those things. I did not notice that I was anxious. That thought mm. didn't occur to me quickly. Mm-hmm. I noticed why, why are my shoulders <laughs> by my ears? And and so that was the very first thing I noticed. And and after I noticed that, because I was writing this book and working on this book, I I asked myself the question, what am I feeling? And and of course, the obvious thing I was probably feeling was I was worried about something. I felt worry. But what was funny was I'd had a pretty good day. And mm. my day wasn't especially stressful or bad. I'd had a good day. And I'd just been running some errands in that moment when I noticed this about myself. So... It wasn't completely clear to me at first, but because of my body sending me that message, I kept exploring and wondering, like, what is it? Why do I feel unsettled? Why do I feel worried? And something came to mind from days before, which was a conversation with my husband about money. And I'd just been running errands and having to run my credit card. Mm -hmm. And it was a conversation that got cut short. And I wasn't exactly sure, is he saying, we can't spend money right now? Do we need to be really careful? And the dry cleaning bill had been a lot. And so it was real things. So Mm -hmm. my shoulders are tight, immediate survey, nothing as big is wrong. But that conversation had stuck with me. And now when I was running my credit card, I was doing it going, oh gosh, are we okay? I, I didn't quite figure out what he meant. And so I felt a lot of anxiety. Now, let me tell you why this matters. So everybody listening cares about doing this work. So I get to my house and now two things happen. One is I walk in at the end of the day when everybody's just getting home, everyone's stressed, everyone's had a hard day, everyone has a lot of emotions. And I walk in and I don't do what I just told you about. The first example Mm -hmm. is I walk in and all I know is I'm short, I'm anxious, I don't know why, and my son is short with me. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Nine times out of 10, if I feel that way, I'm going to be short right back, get upstairs, that was disrespectful, da-da-da. Well, I didn't do that this day. And, and that would have been the tenor of our home that night. Mm-hmm. Because I had stopped and I had I'd recognized, okay, I'm a little bit worried about this, our finances right now, and I didn't get a lot of closure on that conversation. Because I got to process that, I got to say to the Lord before I went inside, Lord, I trust you with our finances and I know we're going to be okay. I just, I know we're going to be okay. Mm. So I had that exchange. I go inside, everybody's still short with me, but instead I'm able to go, buddy, what happened at school today? Did something bad happen? I'm Mm. able to be present with him. Mm -hmm. And then I find Zach coming downstairs and us having a sweet conversation and him saying, I had a rough day. 
and he tells me her, his circumstance. And we sit down at dinner and around the table it goes, and this actually happened. This isn't make-believe. Around the table we go and it's like, okay, this was worrying me today. This was hard today. This was, and we have this beautiful, deep conversation where we're with each other that results in laughter instead of everybody storming off to their rooms. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, recognizing our emotions leads to life. It leads to contentment and peace. It leads to deeper connection. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. One of the things that my wife Maria and I have started doing just over the last year, and I don't even know which one of us started this or, or how it happened, but it has proven really helpful to us, is when one of us knows that the other is going through the kind of thing you're talking about, maybe lack of sleep or excessive work or something else, the other will say, I think that what you're grappling with right now, when it when we just sort of fall apart about some minor thing. I think what you're grappling with right now is at a three and it feels like a 10 or <laughs> at a two and it feels like an eight. And what I noticed is by wording it that way, neither of us have the sense of you don't even understand what's going on. You don't know that this is a problem because the other person is saying, I know this is a problem, but so I think you're feeling it deeper than, <laughs> than it how, is. How vulnerable are you, are you feeling right now? Dr. Moore, will you go somewhere with me? Will, will you let me, will you be the, the patient for a minute? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So let's just take a moment that you can remember like that. So you mm -hmm. feel in that moment, you're reacting strongly to something. What's the emotion word you would give that in that moment? For me, it's usually sort of an irritability, things that, things that wouldn't bother me are bothering me and, and some little thing. And why? In general, it's because it's out of your control. Like, what's the what's the reaction from? It it usually is. I will find yeah something that's out of my control or something that's disappointing. And I really had to guard that when, for instance, I was in a situation where a lot of people were kind of coming at me at at once, and I would say to myself constantly. Do not take this out on your kids hmm. because I've seen people do that and they don't even realize it because they will say, well, my kids did do whatever, but it wasn't that big a deal. And it, you just sort of take all the disappointment that you would like to vent out at these other people, but with the very people that you love the most. So I, I knew that was probably a possibility and that's not usually where it shows up. It's usually... You know, the car has broken down and I'm furious about it. Right. 
Okay. So let's take, you said a really powerful word in there. You said disappointment. You, yeah. you said a word and maybe even disappointment. And I'm going to put this word on it because it's how I would feel. And you can tell me no or yes. When people are coming at me, there's a little bit of embarrassment too. Like just mm-hmm. a, a tinge of it. Like even if it's not your fault, even if you're- a lot. So it, yeah. Okay. A lot of embarrassment. Okay. So embarrassment and disappointment. Can you remember the first time that you ever felt those emotions, embarrassed or disappointed as a kid? No, I don't think so. Okay. I want uh, you to think, cause you, I bet it'll come to you. You will be the first person I've ever asked that question to that it doesn't come to. I remember uh, being distressed at one point, okay. but I don't think I was embarrassed at that. Talk point. about that distress. Uh, <laughs> what, well, what day was that? This was, I remember actually, and I can't believe that I remember back this far, but I remember standing on the little slats of the crib and wanting to be out there because I could hear people talking. You could see the light under the door and I didn't want to go to sleep and was really distressed about that. So yeah, I I remember that. that. so powerful that you can re- see, well, the reason you can remember that, and I've had people say they can remember a two-year-old memory that wasn't told to them. So I, I, that is possible. But the reason why is because you were feeling a strong emotion. Emotion mm-hmm. is what actually seals our memory in. If you did not have a lot of emotion as a child, you'll probably not have a lot of memories. If you were a very emotional child, you probably have a lot of memories. And it's mm-hmm. because emotion is kind of the, the glue that makes it sticky in our brains. So when you go back to that, let's just say you were two. Would that be fair? Two yeah. or three? Okay. Yeah, probably. So let's go to two-year-old. Were you wearing little footy pajamas? I'm just I don't know, little, but probably. Little Dr. Yeah. Russell Moore in his footy pajamas <laughs> in his crib. And so when you think back to that kid and what he was feeling, what do you feel for him? Like, what do you, what do you see when you look at him? Um, well, I think he probably wasn't ready to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, I think it, uh, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, he did What didn't. would you say to him? What would you say to him? Well, in that case, I would probably let him go back into the living room for a little while. <laughs> that, because, okay, you don't understand what you're, you think this is a cute little story. Like, this mm. is profound because... I just go back to the times we feel stuck and embarrassed and in that place of distress. And it's, there's a sense of like, get me out of here. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in this. And, and then add to it, the car breaks down, add to it, your, your seventh grader. And again, you were too young to know whether you should or shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You didn't, there wasn't a judgment on you wanting to be out of your crib or your bed. You just felt it. You felt like, I don't want to be here. And it's a memory to you sealed in your brain because you did not, it was a distressing situation. And that part of you, that two-year-old part of you, that probably nobody came in and said, hey, buddy, like nobody Mm -hmm. probably talked to you about that. They probably were happy to be in the other room with their friends. Yeah. And we've all been there. And and this story is so great because it gives grace for everybody in the story, right? Your parents weren't mean to right. leave you. You were two years old. You probably did need to go to bed. But but yet that two-year-old also isn't wrong. Like mm-hmm. the two-year-old you is also like, I don't like this and I don't want to be here. And yet yeah. this is where you are. When we see in the Bible that these are good gifts from God mm-hmm. that he expresses throughout Genesis to Revelation and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they all reveal their emotions to us. 
And then you see specifically them go to those that are in strong emotion. You see Jesus over and over again, move toward emotion. You see God move toward David, who was the most emotional. You see the Holy Spirit creating words for us to God when we can't even utter words. That has to be the most empathetic thing to do on earth. Mm -hmm. You can't even, you're crying so hard. You're so distressed. You're so much in grief that you can't even form words to God and the Holy Spirit will do that for you. So we see a very emotive you know, Trinity. Mm-hmm. And, and then we ourselves have emotions because we're in the image of God and yet we've made them all the bad guys, you know? And, and that's what I hope shifts because they actually are good gifts that are trying to accomplish purposes in our lives that we're missing. I had someone tell me one time, he said, you know, prayer is very hard for me. And he said, I notice that if I'm really sad, I don't know how to pray because I can't, I can't get the energy to form the words. If I'm really angry, I can't stop and pray. Mm. If I'm really happy, I find that I don't, don't even feel the need to pray. So I, I end up skipping it. And I think there are a lot of people for whom that's the case. There's a yes. particular emotional state and they don't want to pray or come before the presence of God. How would you advise that person to deal with that. So one of the things I wrote in the book was God is not scared that you're falling apart. He's actually wanting Mm -hmm. you to come to him and fall apart. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't bother him. We we try to clean ourselves up and be okay. I have learned, and part of this is from watching David in the scriptures, in the Psalms, that I can shake my fist at God. And my emotional breakthroughs in health has come from doing just that. So We view God, all of us, different ways. But a big way that a lot of us view God is as a disappointed father. Mm -hmm. And so if he's a disappointed father, then you're not very safe to come to him with your emotions. You you don't want to share your emotions in any setting. We don't. It's why sometimes this subject is so hard for people because they're like, I I don't feel safe to do that. And it's genuinely because they didn't feel safe and, and they weren't safe. So that is so... Like, I understand that. Like, this is not easy work. There aren't just loads of emotional safe places in the world. My hope is to help create more. But, But when you think about God specifically, is he an emotionally safe place for you? And you ask yourself the question, when is the last time you got angry at God? When is the last time you, you were sad with God? I think he's being honest about what a lot of other people aren't, which is it's been a long, long time. Because if he's a disappointed father, that's not the door you knock on when you've had a bad day. Right, right. That's not the room you want to go in. You're going to avoid that room. And so it is so important to understand how we view him. Because if we can reconcile that, and I would say for some people, they just need to hear, try it. Try him. Yell at him. Give him a good old, like, just tell him everything and say, next time you're in the car and nobody can hear you and nobody will see you and think you're, they'll think you're on your phone. It's fine. (laughs) Just let him have, like, just be like, this is, and you will probably start weeping because you've been holding all that in. And even if you don't think about it, you've been holding all that in. And this is spoken, not from science, this, this moment, this is spoken from my own personal experience where when I finally said those things out loud, I had gotten so distant from God because I didn't feel safe with him. 
I felt like he kept pushing me out, you know, that song Oceans. He kept pushing me out on the ocean where feet may fail and my feet would fail. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I, this feels like a mean game. Like yeah. you're pushing me all the way out and my feet are failing. And I'm tired of it. Like I'm tired of, I feel like you're pawn. I'm t- and I mean, I'm just being super candid here. I don't always share this part, but I, I let him have, and I, and I did that in the midst of community and people that love me. And what's wild is after I did that, they actually responded with, God's not like that. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't leave you out there. He's there. He, they were correcting what I was saying. Now, are they right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can, God is trustworthy always. God never will forsake us always. Like, yes. But was that helpful? Did I not know my theology? Was that the problem in that moment? No. And thankfully, God can handle all of that. And another person in the room could handle that. And they said, Jenny, how does it make you feel when everyone's telling you this? And I said, I feel misunderstood. I feel like you wanted to hear how I'm doing and I I vulnerably told you and now I feel rejection. I feel like you think I'm wrong. I feel like now I'm doing something wrong. And they were so wonderful. And and our counselor in the room said, why don't you tell Jenny how that, it makes you feel that she feels that way. I mean, we're, we're really now deep into our feelings. And they said, I feel so sad that you feel that way. And what could have ended in disconnection ended in deeper connection. Because each of them said, I'm proud of you for staying out on the ocean. I'm proud of you for not quitting God and not leaving your faith. And they started saying things that literally filled my soul. It wasn't about what was right or true in that moment. I'm not saying it's never about what's right or true, but 99% of what we're feeling in an emotional state with God, with other people, isn't so much about the circumstance. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's, it's about how we feel about the circumstance. And do you think God doesn't care about that? Like, do you right. think he just sits back and says, your dad dies, everybody dies, mm-hmm. grow up, be tough, make it through the rest of your life and you'll die too. And then we'll get to heaven and we'll work it out. Do you <laughs> think that's who he is? Like, yeah. is that who God is? Or is he the God who sees Mary weeping, knows he's about to solve the problem. Because it says that in verses earlier. He didn't decide to solve the problem when he saw Mary crying. He decided to heal Lazarus before he ever headed that way. He knew he would heal the problem, and he stops and weeps with his friend. Like, that is our God. So this matters. And how we live with all of this matters. And we have a God that can take it. He can take it. And that's so comforting to me. And it's a whole different way to relate to him. And you say, I'm not good at that. Well, there's ways to learn to be better at it. Like there's ways to learn anything. And that was really what I tried to do in the book because I related to that person. And I also related to the person that was overly emotional. And I thought really both the person that doesn't know how to respond emotional and the person that's overly emotional, these are both coming from a similar place. They just don't know what to do. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. don't know what to do. And so what I try to do is just make it so simple. Like, here's what you do. It's super simple. It's nearly elementary, but sometimes we need that with such a big subject. You mentioned something the other uh, a few minutes ago that I am encountering a lot. 
And that is since 2020, I've had more conversations with pastors a lot of times, sometimes political leaders or whatever, not the people you'd expect at all who have become alcoholics or dependent right. upon something else. And, and often it's always the same story. People will say, I just had to have some relief from the stress. And so I started medicating myself a little bit and then it went, are you, are you noticing that as well? Well, I don't think this is new. I think what we're up against is more of universal emotional distresses that are similar to what you would find in a world war or something that was affecting Mm. the entire population. And we haven't had a lot of those in our generation. So that's what's new. That's what's entered the scene that's new. We have emotional distress over the state of the world. We have emotional distress over COVID and the implications of that. We have emotional distress, you know, so these are now, that's what's kind of new. Not that we didn't have 9-11 and such, but, but they keep coming now. Like this is just, it just keeps coming. So I would say this isn't new and what all humans do and they have since Adam and Eve did this. They conceal, they cope, and control. That's what you do with emotions. That's the human response to emotions. And it's not all bad. It also can be, as we talked about earlier, way to get through a season. It's okay. But if you stay there, you're going to miss your life. You're going to miss your life because we weren't meant to just control and cope and conceal our emotions. We were meant, what got ultimately the C he meant for them was connection. And so what you'll find is you'll find you're becoming one of two people, angry, short, or checked out. And that's just, that's just the science. It's not you, you're not special. It's the science because we have a fight or flight feature. And the smaller your window of tolerance is, the more stressed you become, you will either quickly move to anger or frustration or tension, or you'll move to I'm going to check out and avoid and watch Netflix with the rest of my life, Yeah, the news, whatever it is. So that's what you're going to get. It's not, you're not special. There's no way around it. You have a capacity. This is the way your brain works. Or you heal. If you heal, you will still have the capacity to blow up at your kids. You will still have the capacity to check out and numb out. But the width of your river will be a lot wider Hmm. if you grow and you heal. And that's what you're looking for is I want to do, I want to engage in my emotions so that I don't so quickly snap or so quickly want to numb out. And, and that just takes a little work. It's not, it's not rocket science and it doesn't require a counselor, though I do believe in them, but it is, it is going through the process of feeling your emotions and sharing them with other people. Well, and, and the science backs this up that if a person stops and and says i'm angry right now i'm sad right now because of whatever's going on i'm when you identify it that way and you recognize it it breaks the the power of it that, that sort it of does. unconscious power where you 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 don't know that that's happening and so you direct it somewhere else i call that science magic even though god built it in our brains. So I know it's not sorcery magic. It's actually just God magic that he, he built us in such a way that our neuropathways can heal. 
And what I like about this conversation, because I'm a mother and I've watched, I've raised four humans and I've watched them sin, right? I've watched them make terrible mistakes with their lives. I've watched them be complete punks for seasons of their (laughs) lives. I've watched it all. And what I like about doing the research of this is understanding that God built us a certain way. And when we experience trauma, sometimes, and it's it, trauma doesn't have to be sexual abuse when you were five. It could be, but it also could be you watching your parents fight in the other room. It could be you looking through a doorway, just like you, where you feel you felt traumatized because nobody was taking care of you. That there could be little bitty traumas and big traumas, but no matter what that trauma is, it causes breaks in your neuropathways. It it affects your brain. And we tend to, as the church, just slap things as like sin or obedience. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. God's got a standard and we're not hitting it. But God also knew, just like he did with the woman at the well, that there's a reason (laughs) that this woman is in hiding. And I want to help her. I want to heal her. And I pray that the church would become that, that we would become hospitals (laughs) Mm-hmm. And we would become places where someone sinning wants to come so that they can understand what's really wrong. Because what's really wrong is the brokenness of sin, yes, but also the brokenness that you were abused at six. That That's also wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and the gospel wants to heal you. It wants to heal all of you. Jesus wants to move into all of those places and moving into those places is not just fixing you. It's also being in the pain with you. Mental health is the blazing fire that we have to understand how to engage, not just our congregations, but also our children. We've got to know that when they come home from a bad day, they really don't need you to go call a teacher or fix the problem. They need you to be sad with them and that that begins to heal your brain. So mourn with those who mourn actually is not just a command because it's a nice thing to do. It's a command because the neuropathways that have been broken through trauma begin to heal when someone is with you in your pain. It's a miracle. And and your brain does that. It's it's wild. Every rage filled, and I, I, I'm trying to think of an exam, example that's contrary to this, and I can't in my life. Every rage filled sort of what first Timothy 2 and 2 Timothy 2 would define as a quarrelsome person that I know will always say, if they're Christian, Jesus overturning tables in the temple. That's what's happening to me. That's who I am right now. And not able to see, well, I think actually what you're doing is just sort of, and they will say, I'm just telling it the way it is. (laughs) Every time just about that I've dealt with a couple where one of them has said, I'm leaving you for somebody else, it's almost always framed as this person makes me happy and Mm. you don't or you don't as much. So our emotions can be occasions for sin and can lead us astray. So how do we know when that's happening and, mm, and when it's great not. question. So let me affirm what you are saying. We have watched so many people in the world fall off the cliff of following their emotions. So that is not what I'm advocating for. Mm-hmm. Part of the process in the book is to go through this. And the last part of it is to decide what you're going to do with it. Because you see in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Yeah. So there's a sense of you can be angry and not sin. And you can be angry and sin, right? The verse is mm-hmm. supposing both 
facts. So we know that in our emotions, we are not to sin. But our emotion is not the sin. Our emotion can certainly lead to sinful thoughts and behaviors and all these things. And so we, yes, you're exactly right. And I would say that, I would say that 90% of that is a lack of emotional health, not because of it. (laughs) So what I'm suggesting we do is to grow in emotional wholeness and maturity and health. If that is happening, then you're going to be, you're going to have less of a propensity to fall into that as a believer. Now, let me give a little disclaimer for all the unbelievers, and I might make people mad here, but I'm just going to say what Paul said. They're chasing happiness because that is the best God they've got, Mm. the world. And Paul said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, eat and drink because tomorrow you die. He said, go chase your happiness. If this is all there is and it goes to black, go chase. So Paul told them to do that. If, If God is not real, go chase your happiness. So I am not suggesting that what you feel, then therefore you act in that. No, it is. But when I am honest about the hurt that I've felt, forgiveness comes easier Hmm. because I actually get to heal with God and hopefully with community that loves me and that's safe and that wants to help me heal. So that when I go to ask for forgiveness for that person or to grant forgiveness to that person, it sure comes a lot easier when I have felt the emotion that I'm feeling and I've grieved the hurt from it. And I have shared that hurt with people that love me. When I've gone through that emotional process that God means for us to go through, then I'm more deeply connected to my own heart, to him and to other people. So no, we don't go off the cliff because we believe there is a God. And in believing that there is a God, we follow him and obey him no matter what we feel. But our feelings matter. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But they, all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. Coming from a revivalist Christian sort of uh, background, nothing would make me angrier, I think, than seeing people using emotions in order mm. to manipulate people. So, it, and it's, you can, you can sort of, when you can sit there and identify it and say, oh, this is why the music's going like this right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is why this. Right. Or I was uh, a youth pastor. I took my, my kids to an event and the preacher stood up and said, you, you might need to walk down this aisle 
and be baptized because there may be some sort of secret habit that you have that you just can't quit. And I'm sitting realizing, okay, <laughs> he, I know what he's doing here. Right. And he's everybody getting, has that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. he's getting his numbers up here. Wow. Wow. But Asbury Revival, where we didn't see any of that, right. and we saw genuine emotion, but not emotional manipulation. <laughs> how, how can we tell the difference between those kinds of things? You know, we have to, I mean, I think this is such a personal decision in our own hearts because ultimately, no, we don't want other people to be emotionally manipulated, but we can't control that. We don't want to be emotionally manipulated. And, and so what we do is we throw up a guard yeah. that anything emotional is possibly that. And we miss moments where I have been in full band lights down totally. Maybe they had some emotional goal for me mm -hmm. and I have connected with Jesus in that. I also have, and I got to go to Asbury Revival and it wasn't emotional. You were in the back and it was the most awkward thing. It took you so long to get used to how awkward the room was. Really? The, the songs, oh, I felt, yeah. The songs they were singing, the it wasn't very loud. The music wasn't great. They had to rotate so many singers. Like there was nothing impressive about it to the point that it even shocked me. Like, Huh. Wow. Okay. I've got to adjust to that. But I did connect with God in that as well. It took about two hours, just super frank. We could go, we could do a whole other podcast about that. And I think for, for me, it's, I, I really believe that God likes me, that I like him and I sure want to stay close to him. Hmm. And the greatest way I've found to do that is to be completely transparent and honest. And so if hmm. I'm in a situation like that, where I feel like, let's say I even caused it. Let's say that I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a great example. The Auburn baptisms. This is a story I've never told. So I don't know if you saw that on the news or anything. So it, it, we, had, we baptized over 200 kids that night. So, so I get up there and do an altar call and nobody comes. That's the, that's the first thing that happened that we didn't ever tell in the news when they mm. asked us about it. I did an altar call and nobody came. And there's reasons for that, but it doesn't matter. In that moment, nobody came. And I'm like, you know, okay. But I was faithful. I felt like I was supposed to do it. I did it. I walked off. It didn't work. Okay. Then I get on off stage and somebody has texted their pastor standing next to me and said, I want to get baptized. Hmm. And that was real. That wasn't, we didn't plan that. And I said, where could we do that? And he said, this place. And I said, okay. And I just got up and said, somebody wants to be baptized tonight. Anybody else want to be baptized? And all these hands went up. And I'm only telling the story to, to pastors and to leaders that create experiences. Listen, it is easy to feel like I'm going to save this thing. I'm going to fix yeah. this thing. Like I'm going to make this, I'm going to look better in this moment. But I was okay. Like I was on the side and I was like, well, that bombed. I mean, that was how <laughs> that night started, right? And if that pass, if somebody hadn't sincerely said, I want to get baptized, then we wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And so I look at like that moment and I'm like, we always have a choice of like, are we trying to force something for our own good? Or are we just along for this ride with God? And sometimes it's going to pr produce the most magical fruit and sometimes it won't. And I think if we can just deal with ourselves is my point and just go, do I need this to happen? Like, am I looking for something out of this or am I okay with whatever happens? I don't think it matters how loud the music is. I don't think it matters 
what what it, I think God will do what he's going to do when people are surrendered in that way. Last question. We have had a lot of conversations on this show, not intentionally, but just as ended up this way, about adolescent and young adult mental health. And I was having a conversation with a group of people the other day, not Christians, but who were talking about the phenomenon. They were talking about their kids in school. And they said, what we're up against here is not helicopter parenting, but snowplow parenting, where there's a sense of pressure to say, I need to get the obstacles out of the way of my son or daughter so Mm. that he or she can succeed. He said, and the problem is they think that they're making things easier on their kids when they're actually hiking up the pressure and the expectations upon their kids while not giving them the sorts of manageable crises and emotional reactions that how we learn how to to do it. You're a mom. And you also work with a lot of young people. How how can we help the next generation do this better than we are right now? Well, that's a great question. And I think we need to all be asking it. And if we're not, then we're wrong because they need help. They really need help. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, as a mom, I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want them to get in trouble. I don't want them yeah. to ruin their lives. I don't want little decisions they make now to affect the rest of their lives. But Zach and I have felt compelled to shut our mouths and let them get in trouble and let them face consequences and let them build their own lives and to see them as autonomous humans that God is raising that are part of a family and that's a part of their identity, but it isn't their whole identity. And as we've let them become the people they're becoming, they surprise me all the time with how much further they come and go and learn than I thought they were that whole time, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I think allowing our kids to live their own stories and to build their own paths is pretty important. And I would say any of us that have adult children would really plead with people that have younger kids that don't force God on them. Don't for, I'm not saying don't go to church or I'm not saying any of that. We had, we did all of that as parents, but when it came to them doubting their faith, when it came to them going through seasons where they walked away from God, we let them, Yeah, we let them because you can't force that. It's a soul. It's a human and they've got to find their own path. What gives me great excitement about what I see in the generation currently, you know, coming into adulthood is they are tired of the path they were on. Yeah. They are sick of the world. They are sick of isolation. They are sick of technology. They they want a different way. And I'm not saying they're not still involved in all of those mm-hmm. things, a lot of them, but there also is a lot of them just turning, like flat turning, and they don't want it. But that's not because their parents said so. And I'm not saying that that didn't help. It's because God is moving today. And so the greatest thing that generation needs is prayer. Mm-hmm. That They need prayer. We need to be people of faith that are praying prayers of faith that God will continue to, because he already is, to rescue them and revive them in a mighty, mighty way. It is happening and it needs discipleship. It needs a lot of people around them helping them grow up in the faith. But yeah, 
I think that's my answer is we pray. You mentioned being a different parent to each one of your children. I was saying that to someone the other day. I said, I'm a completely different dad to my 22-year-old than I am to my 12-year-old comparing yeah. when they were at the same age. I said, and I think the reason for that is learning what to freak out about and what not to. So with the, with the <laughs> older kids, when we're trying to figure out what so we're true. doing, any little thing, we would think, oh, no, is this the beginnings right. of becoming a serial killer or whatever? <laughs> right. And right. You, you pour yourself into that. Right. And then later you're like, eh, that's what 13-year-olds yeah, right. are like that. <laughs> and so it seems true. to be like a big part of what... Quite your, your little brother's so dadgum fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly right. And one of the things I think that you're saying in this book is not just about parenting or, or being parented, but just generally in life, how yeah. to figure out what to freak out about and what not to freak out about right. and to not lie your, to yourself when you are freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope, like, I hope people leave the book and feel just a tremendous amount of what I believe clearly is God's compassion for us, that he understands it. It, it even says in scripture that he empathizes with our weakness, meaning that he feels what we're feeling in our weakness. That's the word empathize is to feel it with us. So we've got a God who wants to empathize with what we're going through and does. And so I think that my hope is that we all just have a lot of grace. I hope that everybody listening right now takes a big exhale. Yeah, you screwed up your kids. So did I. It's okay. Like we're, we're going to do our best we can and we're going to talk tonight to them about it, you know? And I just think the yeah. more we just accept our humanity and and all the while taking it to Jesus, knowing that he can transform it, knowing that he issues us the spirit, which produces peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, that that whole magical thing that goes on with God happens best when we're honest with ourselves and with him and with other people. And we change through that. Jenny Allen, I'm a huge fan of yours and it was so fun to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. So good to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Moore. If you enjoy The Russell Moore Show, take a second to share this episode with a friend or leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Host is Russell Moore. Produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry and Mackenzie Hill. Director of Operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.